welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. Would you like a way of writing articles or chapters in your book faster? Hi there, my name is Brian Collins and lately I've been using transcription services to write articles for publications like Forbes and also to write first drafts of chapters for a book that I'm working on. Typically what I do is I interview somebody for an article and then I will send that interview over to a service like Rev and get it transcribed. Doing this helps me write the article faster because I don't have to sit there and type out everything the interviewee said. And it's also a great way of being able to read back over what the subject might have told me during the interview. So if you're a freelance writer or a nonfiction writer and you have a modest budget, I'd recommend you investigate first using speech-to-text software like Dragon Dictate, and that's something I've wrote a review of, and then consider using a service like Rev. Recently, I had the opportunity to speak to Jason Shikola, who is the founder and CEO of Rev. And in this interview, Jason explains how Rev can help freelance writers write articles or books faster. And he also explains what you need to do if you want to get something ready for transcription. But first, I started by asking Jason why he founded Rev in the first place. So it's a bit of an indirect story. Are you familiar with a company called Upwork? Yes, I am. I use Upwork quite regularly too. Yeah, so I help to found Upwork in 2004, California. And Upwork and Rev have a lot of similarities. Both of them are internet businesses that connect people who want to work from home with people who need work done. In the parlance that I use, we'd say they're both labor marketplaces. Upwork is a lot like eBay in the sense that you can buy or sell any kind of service, just as on eBay, you can buy or sell any kind of good. On Upwork, there's not a lot of curation. So they largely operate on the principle of caveat emptor, buyer beware, that as the buyer, you have to be careful to hire the right person. And you may not get what you want, although there's great people there and they do great work and, and there's a lot of success. Rev is actually a large Upwork customer. We spent, I'm sure, over a million dollars in Upwork. When I started Rev in 2010, it was because I really believed that many, many people want to work from home. I think if I look out 50 to 100 years, or by the time that I die, I expect that there'll be like a billion people who work on the internet through a computer rather than getting in the car and driving to an office. So I view the shift from working in an office to working from home as a mega trend in our lifetimes. And as an entrepreneur, that excites me. As a human being, it also excites me because when I spend time with people that work from home, what I find is they're happy, grateful, appreciative. They love the control that it gives them. And my initial motivation was to create that feeling for more people. And I knew it. So I knew I wanted to create work from home jobs. And I also knew that the key challenge of Upwork was that they don't and couldn't guarantee quality. So I started with the premise of how can I create work from home jobs? But I want to pick categories where I can guarantee quality for the customer. Because if I do that, it'll scale. If I do that, every customer will use it. On Upwork, the most common type of work is computer programming. And yet the best companies in the world, like Amazon or Google or Microsoft, don't use Upwork for their programming. So it's clearly not the best way to get programming done. My thought is I wanted to create a category of remote work where we are the best way to do it and we can eventually be the leader. And I then looked at 
what are the kinds of jobs you can do from a computer over the internet and have it be a really good experience for the customer. And I stumbled on services around language. The first service that I tried was translation. The second service I tried was transcription. And transcription took off a lot faster. So we've really gone deep there. Today, we offer audio transcription, closed captioning of videos, foreign subtitles of videos. So I want the words on my video to appear in Spanish or Mandarin at the bottom and document translation. We also, as you're aware, have an automated transcription service that's called Temi, T-E-M-I.com. That started as an experiment to see if anybody would uh, want to use a transcript that was, call it 90% accurate rather than close to 100%. And to our delight, it turns out there's a huge market for that as well. We have two offerings for transcription, a higher-end one, Rev, that costs a dollar a minute, where the transcript is, we bill at 99% accuracy. And the, the less expensive one, Temi, 10 cents a minute, 90% cheaper, where the accuracy is around 90%. But the caveat is, if you have really clear audio like a podcast, you might get to 97% accuracy. And if you have lousy quality audio from a coffee shop with a lot of background noise, it can be much lower than that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I've, I haven't used Temi before, but I've, I've used Rev and Upwork uh, quite a lot. So the way I use Rev is for an interview like this, I will get it transcribed and then I'll, it'll help me write an article faster. And then in the past, I've also dictated or narrated chapters of books into a dictaphone and then uploaded that to Rev to get transcribed. And I find that can help with things like RSI and even writer's block because you're, you know, you're not hunched over a keyboard or sitting at a computer. So I'm just curious, like, what are the typical types of customers or people who use Rev? What are they using it for? It's incredibly diverse. And I'll, I'll walk you through some of the more common use cases. But this kind of surprises people. There are as many needs for transcription as you can imagine. Who is it that wants to know what they said? Who is it that wants to know what other people said? Who is it that wants to speak rather than type? The answer is nearly everybody. If I start to break down what are the largest categories of Rev customers, journalists come to mind for sure. As you know well know, many journalists will record a subject like just like you're recording me and then use the transcript to help them write the story, both because it helps them to pull quotes, also because it helps to refresh their memory in the moment before they write the story. That's quite common. Market research is another large segment. Market research firms tend to do focus groups and interview consumers about how they feel about Coca-Cola versus Pepsi, and they will transcribe those, those focus groups um, so their clients can study what consumers say and feel. Video production is a big category for us. If you went to CNN, you'd find that there's hundreds of people at CNN that use our services. And if you're in the process of producing media and videos, there's many needs for our services. First, you might transcribe the raw footage so that if CNN is trying to make a five-minute news clip, they might go and record 10 hours of raw footage. The producer who's editing that video doesn't want to go through 10 hours of footage. They want to scan the transcript, find the quotes they like, and then quickly pull the video clips that are appropriate, edit it down. Later on, they could use captions and so forth. But I'll focus here on transcription. There are churches now that transcribe sermons quite commonly. We have companies that will transcribe uh, board meetings. We have found that a lot of prisons will transcribe calls from inmates to people outside the prison. This is a small use case. I'm just giving you an example that shows the diversity. Lawyers, it's quite common 
to transcribe things that happen, not just in a courtroom, where it tends to be more specialized and often provided by the court, but nearly anything that's done for legal purposes. And any conversation is going to get transcribed. In the U.S., we call them depositions. I'm sure they have similar things in Ireland. And we're seeing also some categories that may have been smaller in the past that are, that are picking up. For example, uh, law enforcement. Uh, law enforcement, police departments, there's certainly some calls they have that'll transcribe. You can imagine somebody calling 911, or, or I don't know what you guys call it over there, for emergency services. But, but beyond that, in the United States, for police officers to wear body cameras, um, there's been controversy over what happens when a police, you know, when, when a cop, God forbid, shoots someone, what happens? And so there's a trend towards saying, hey, every cop should be wearing a camera at all times. And that camera creates a record of what happens. And you can imagine some of those recordings they want to submit them as evidence for a court case during, let's say, an arrest. So there's really a wide range of uses. If I um, do, do you want to get into the productivity side as well, or, or does that? Like, well, I, I suppose I'm, I'm curious. How would somebody get maximum value from their transcription? Like, I was particularly intrigued to what you said there about CNN using it to find interesting quotes. Because that, that's the way I've used it for interviews as well. You know, typing up a 30 minute interview can be quite time consuming. But it's great to have something that you can scan and pull things out. So would you have any recommendations that you could give to somebody who's either a video blogger or somebody who's writing something, how they could get maximum value from the transcription or even prepare an audio file for or the perfect transcription? Sure. Okay, well, let me start at the beginning. The most important thing to keep in mind if you want to get value from your audio from transcription is the better you record the audio, the better results you're going to get. This sounds obvious, but it's sort of garbage in, garbage out. If you haven't done this, I would listen to a couple of recordings. And it's a simple rule of thumb. If you have a hard time understanding what was said, <laughs> the per- the transcriptionist will have an even harder time because they, they didn't have the benefit of being there and they probably don't know as much as you do about the topic. So there's a couple simple rules of thumb we would give people. You want to minimize background noise. You want to use the best recording equipment you can. The iPhone is actually okay if you're doing it in a controlled environment. You don't want to be crinkling a lot of papers and and food packages next to the microphone. That creates a bad experience. Certainly doing things outdoors with cars going by is unhelpful. So first thing, create a clear recording. That's going to help you all kinds of ways. Beyond that, once you have a transcript, I would point out to people, it depends on your use case, but we have what we call an editor. We have software that we provide for free with our transcripts that has a number of features that I think can be useful to people who are, let's say, in the media space, as you are and probably some of your readers are, trying to get value. You can highlight valuable quotes. You can share the transcript with other people to whom it's of interest. We have a feature that's going to launch in the next week or two where you can make comments on the transcript. And so most people producing media do it on Teams. And the software that we, that we provide for free, there's for no additional charge beyond the transcript, is designed to allow teams to collaborate on the transcript, meaning you can read it, discuss it, say, hey, here's this quote. Let's use it for this part of the article or for that part of the article. Of course, the transcripts that you get, you can connect them to the video. There's one other important, I think, announcement. I can give a little reveal here. You might be aware that we charge for timestamps. Well, we're going to starting in, in early next year, probably before the end of Q1, we're going to provide free alignment, which means that when you are reviewing your transcript, even if you haven't paid for a timestamp, we will show you for each word or sentence 
in the transcript where it corresponds to the video. So you can either play the video in any part into the transcript, or you can look at the part of the transcript and see where that video is or the audio is. And if you're producing video or audio, that can be quite helpful to know where it lines up. Because imagine you have a one-hour recording, that could be a 25, 30-page transcript. And it can be very hard to connect the right sentence to the right part of the video or audio. Yeah, I can see how that could be useful. Sometimes I've listened to an audio file to try to match it up to the part of the transcript so then I could make more sense of the context that the interviewee was referring to. I was also intrigued by something you said there at the start of the interview. You talked about how maybe up to a billion people in so many years' time could be working from home. So I'm just wondering, what, what tips do you have for somebody who's working from home? Because I know a lot of writers and creative professionals these days you know, either tend to work with different people like their editor around the world, or perhaps they work in a library, or perhaps they work by themselves. So what advice would you offer somebody like that? Well, let's see. Um, you know, there, there's different ways to work from home. One of the unique things about Rev, which is a different kind of platform, Rev is for people who make a living typing. Rev is designed to make it so that the freelancers don't have to ever apply for a job or bid. I think the reality of freelancing for most people is that you're constantly selling yourself to find your next project. So probably the first thing I would say is that if you're going to make a business freelancing, not on a platform of finding your own clients, you need to think a lot about your sales and marketing strategy from the start, that um, you're going to have to spend somewhere between 10% and half your time, not on doing the work, but on lining up job opportunities. So I think that that has a couple of implications. One is it means the kinds of people that will be most successful in that individual freelancing lifestyle are going to be people that not only are, are good at selling themselves, but, but enjoy it. If they don't enjoy it, you might look into finding a platform where you can work, that you can work for. Um, and, and there are platforms for writing as well. I, I'm happy to give you some names, ones that I'm aware of. There's a lot. In a platform, you'll typically probably earn less, fewer dollars or whatever the currency is per job than you might directly, but you might spend less time looking for work. So it may end up better in the end, it may end up worse in the end. You'll certainly have less flexibility probably because you'll have to work with the rules of that platform. So I would consider a platform working for a middleman if you don't enjoy selling yourself. If you want to be independent, which is obviously quite admirable, I would probably suggest trying to come up with some kind of specialty or niche where you can be you know, a known expert or quantity in whatever your, your niche is, it's a big world. And you know, it, it'd probably be better to be known as the go-to guy for some relatively narrow topic than to be known as a pretty good writer for anything, but not known for, for any one thing in particular. And then depending on the way you approach things, I would definitely think about trying to build an online presence for yourself as an authority around that topic. And that's Ideally, it's some combination of whether it's blog posts or YouTube videos or Twitter with a lot of followers. I mean, I think people that develop a following in a relatively specific area, that can be the foundation of a successful freelancing career. So that, that's probably one path that I think is good. The other extreme path is to not have a persona, but to be on a platform. So I think those are two very different strategies that could probably both work. Yeah, I know what you mean. So if you're on a platform like Upwork, you don't have to necessarily worry about marketing yourself, perhaps through content marketing or, or blogging. Do you think the gig economy is going to get bigger over the next few years or will the gig economy dry up? I think there's no question that the gig economy has grown a ton. It will continue to grow a ton. 
there's probably some differences by category. I think that content marketing, which is the category to which writing is, is the most closely related, has had its share of ups and downs. I would not say I'm an expert in it. So let me park that and come back to it. If I look at the gig economy broadly, Uber is a part of the gig economy. Ride sharing is growing a lot, will continue growing. What Rev does transcription is growing a lot, will continue growing. Many entrepreneurs are looking every day for other categories of work that can be done you know, online. There's been, I've recently seen quite a few companies that are doing English tutoring online, teaching people overseas to speak English. That category is growing a lot. There's a company in, in China called VIP Kid that is quite large. I believe Bloomberg reported they, they're doing north of half a billion dollars in annual revenue. So I think there's no question the gig economy is going to grow a ton. All these companies have lots of venture capital. They're improving their platforms. The reason why the gig economy works is because there are lots of people that have time where they'd like to work and they want something flexible. And the gig economy provides more flexibility than a traditional job, both in terms of when you work and where you work. If you ask somebody, would you, would you like to set, set your own hours and be able to work wherever you are? People say, yes, of course, right? The gig economy provides that in a way that traditional employment does not. So that underlying, those two factors, I think, are so powerful that there's almost nothing that I think could slow down the growth of the gig economy in an aggregate basis because you're not going to change human nature. You're not going to change the fact that people want to work when and where and how they want. If we look category by category, country by country, you could certainly imagine a scenario where some country might ban Uber <laughs> and that might slow the gig economy down in that country for a little while. Eventually, the market will probably you know, may make it possible again because there's, there's huge demand for those services. Content marketing, I think, has... And by content marketing, I'm talking about paying people to write articles. Uh, I think that has a somewhat checkered past in the sense that a decade ago, there were a lot of companies that provided these services and the customers who were buying it were buying these, were having articles written, not so much because they wanted to read them or their, or their customers wanted to read them, but because they felt that by putting these articles out there online, they would get ranked higher in Google's organic search. And Google has obviously changed the way they do their search rankings many times. And a theme of, of those changes is that they reward content that readers really enjoy and they don't reward kind of crappy content. And so I think that's led, led a lot of people and brands to do more content development in-house where they can more tightly control it and create stuff that the readers really can enjoy. So I think that trend has caused some content marketing platforms to fail, I think. So like I said, there's question marks about content marketing as a category, but the gig economy broadly is a, is a huge success that I believe shows no signs of slowing down. Sure, Jason, I remember those article directories that people used to submit, you know, three and 400 word articles to and it didn't really add any value, but they just helped the the person submitting the articles to build links and potentially rank higher. Obviously, that doesn't work anymore. As somebody who's, you know, set up or helped set up a couple of different companies, I'm just wondering, what's your number one tip for focusing on a project and not getting distracted by different projects? Boy, that's a hard one. Um, but I'll tell you my, my personal favorite, favorite tip, and then maybe I'll give a book or two. I, I think that multitasking is kind of overrated. I think that there are some people that pride themselves in being able to do 10 things at once. And I, I think that those people are, are lying to themselves. I, I think that, you know, we're increasingly living in a world of constant distraction. You can always pull out your phone and check your email. People get obsessed with Facebook and Twitter and feel a need to check Facebook and Twitter 100 times a day. And that's good for Facebook and Twitter, but it's probably not good for you. I would encourage people to have one big priority at a time, ideally for a whole month. 
and to think a lot about what's the one thing that if you accomplish, you're going to be professionally or personally better off a month from now and, you know, put all your resources behind it. You know, like, for example, I mean, personal examples, uh, you know, last month I was working off on kicking off a process to hire uh, an executive for a function that, that we need some help in. This month, I'm focusing on our annual planning process, setting up goals and targets and strategy for, for next year. And if other things slip, that's okay. So I think the others, it's easy to say not a priority, but the hard part of having a priority, the flip side of it means saying no to a lot of things. It means being okay with letting other things slide. People that are ambitious or have high standards often want to be perfect at everything. And trying to be perfect at everything is actually the opposite of being able to focus. To focus on one thing, you have to say no to everything else. And you have to be okay with, with telling somebody, either not responding to an email or telling somebody, sorry, sorry, can't do this, I understood. Or you may have other projects that in the past you've worked on and you have to tell yourself, you know what, I'm going to like ignore those for this month while I'm working on writing my book, getting a new job, finishing one big project. And so I think a lot of people, it often takes some adjustment, almost psychologically, to be comfortable with letting go of other things, not like breaking the commitment with yourself. If you, if you believe in that top priority, whether it's writing a book or getting a job or finding a project, if that's the top priority, you should be, tell yourself it's okay if some other things slip. And I think that getting mental clarity around that. And then another tip, when you come in to work in the morning, don't check your email first. Don't check your Slack first. Work on your priority first. Personally, I find that to be huge because what tends to happen is people, people go down the rabbit hole of emails or God forbid social media, and you could spend all day looking at emails and all day looking at Facebook and Twitter and accomplish nothing. I think the people that are most effective are people that you know, come in quiet, clean sheet of paper, work on the top priority. Sometimes, sometimes with the internet off. I mean, I find that some of my most productive time is if I'm on an airplane without Wi-Fi, and there's no distraction, so you can make a lot of progress on your key priorities. So I think I think we live in a world of overstimulation, where my high level suggestions are: be clear on what your top priority is, and shut off distractions so you can work on it. Last thing I would say is anybody who wants to be more productive, I'd recommend the book. Getting Things Done by David Allen. I think it has some great timeless advice uh, for how to be more productive and how to improve those habits over time. Yeah, that's a great book. I was actually one of the first productivity books that, that I read, Jason. Where can people find you online? Well, they could uh, email me, uh, jason at rev.com, jason at rev.com, or they can find me on Twitter at Jason Chicola. Chicola spelled C-H-I-C-O-L-A. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. If you did, please leave a rating on the iTunes store. And if you want to accomplish more with your writing, please visit becomearitertoday.com forward slash join and I'll send you a free email course. Thanks for listening.